what I'm really wondering is this a moment or a movement? And I really hope that this is a movement where the country is really going to come to grip with this checkered past and really work to provide, you know, broad-based prosperity for everyone. Welcome to the Next Gen Banker podcast, where we explore what's next in banking and talk with the innovators responsible for creating positive change in the financial sector. I am your host, David Ryling, and I'm very excited to welcome Darren Williams as our guest today. Darren, thank you for being on the Next Gen Banker podcast. Hey, David, thanks for having us. Really appreciate the opportunity. Well, we're going to kick off today, Darren, with just a little bit of your background and bio for our global audience. Uh, give them a little flavor of uh, what you've done and and maybe where you're headed. And um, then we'll dive into some uh, some fun questions today. So Darren is the CEO of Southern Bancorp, which comprises three entities, uh, the bank holding company, Southern Bancorp, uh, Southern Bancorp Bank, and Southern Bancorp Community Partners, a nonprofit loan fund, all of which are CDFIs, Community Development Financial Institutions, certified by the US Treasury. Uh, Darren was recently appointed by President Joe Biden to the to the board that advises the U.S. Treasury's Community Development Financial Institutions Fund, or the CDFI Fund. Darren serves on the board of Southern Bancorp Bank and Southern Bancorp Community Partners, as well as the Little Rock chapter of the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis. Darren and I also share an honor of being board members of the Global Alliance for Banking on Values. Darren previously worked as an attorney in Little Rock uh, before joining Southern. He has also served three terms in the Arkansas House of Representatives from 2008 to 2013. So, Darren, uh, great background for uh, everything that we want to talk about today. But let's get started maybe with some of the basics. And uh, for our audience to get acquainted with Southern um, and all its components, tell us a little bit about uh, Southern and its three entities and what makes it different. Well, thanks, uh, David. So you, you've kind of summed up. We are three entities. We say three entities with one one mission. We are all, you know, again, all three CDFIs. The bank holding company kind of serves as the governing vision for the entire organization. Uh, and as a as a CDFI, of course, our our focus is serving underserved people and uh, and communities. Um, and we were started back in the mid 1980s, actually modeled after probably the first development bank in the country, South Shore Bank on the south side of Chicago economically oppressed, largely African-American community that had suffered from a lack of investment from redlining. And at the time, Arkansas's governor was Bill Clinton, and he was looking for ways to stimulate activity in Arkansas's Delta region, kind of the, the eastern part of Arkansas, which uh, has some of the most fertile and most rich um, land uh, and where cotton was king. And honestly, dating back to slavery, um, when you know when cotton was king, African-American slaves bringing in slaves, that area was booming from economic activity. Uh, as slavery ended, as the farm mechanized and as one combine grew the work of 100 men, there was just not a lot of uh, economic investment in that community. Those who could get out left. Uh, and that area continues to suffer. And even today is one of the most persistently poor communities in the United States. Governor Clinton said, what can we do to create economic activity in that community? Really focused on serving those who've been underserved, left, left behind, particularly the African-American community there. So he invited the folks from Chicago to Arkansas. And what was started was Southern Development Bank Corporation, today Southern Bank Corp. Uh, and we were started with the help of the Winthrop Rockefeller Foundation, a, a charitable foundation here. One of John D. Rockefeller's sons, Winthrop Rockefeller, was governor of Arkansas. 
Uh, the Walton family, Sam and Helen Walton, had a passion for the Delta. Their uh, foundation got involved. And so it was about 10 to $12 million. They cobbled together and started this organization. And today, we're proud to be almost $2 billion in assets, serving 50, through, you know, 51 locations, now serving not just the Arkansas side of the Delta, but also the Mississippi side as well. Uh, and we have, again, those three entities, uh, the holding company, the bank, and the not-for-profit loan fund. What's really unique about us really is that combination of the three entities and that not-for-profit loan fund really provides really high-touch financial development services and counseling uh, for folks who need it. And so uh, our big heritage goal, our mission really is all around wealth building and, and happy to talk more about that. Fantastic. And Darren, as we talk about it, the uniqueness of it, that combination, um, bankers often don't think about, um, particularly when I think of you have a loan fund and a bank, a regulated bank, and I'm assuming places where a regulated institution can't lend or go, you find ways to do that with your CDFI loan fund, the community partners. Is that right? That's absolutely right, David. I, you know, what I say is, uh, the loan fund and the bank, the powerful combination just gives us more tools, more errors in our quiver. Uh, and so there are many times where the loan fund takes the lead and can actually do a loan that a regulated entity can't do, as you say. But what's really powerful, David, is sometimes we partner together uh, and make the loan possible because the loan fund, again, uh, being, I shouldn't say not regulated, but at least less regulated, and we're able to provide more flexible terms. We're able to customize loans even more so than a community bank where we, we do a fair amount of customization too for our borrowers. And I, let me give you an example of what that could look like. So and this often happens um, in 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 uh, serving underserved community and underserved people who have limited access to uh, capital and may not have the type of um, financial wherewithal uh, to be completely underwritten in all of their needs. So it might be a small business that's looking to uh, purchase a piece of real estate and add on to their business. And so the loan fund, I'm sorry, the bank might make that loan uh, and the real estate might uh, help su support that loan uh, in our underwriting. That might make it work, but that small business owner might also need additional working capital in this new location to really expand that business. Well, that debt to income ratio may be a little tough for a regulated banks since we've just financed that that commercial real estate for that person. Uh, and so the loan fund might come in and help that small business owner by providing working capital uh, with more flexible terms, might be interest only for a while, uh, you know, might give them greater flexibility on, on amortization. Uh, and so those that's a powerful combination that really makes uh, deals work sometime for us. That's just one example. And what I'm really proud of, Dave, is our loan fund, while it is associated with Southern, we can work with any bank. Uh, and so we have banking partners where we want that same type of uh, activity for them to be able to use a loan from that way as well. In addition to the, you know, I often say wealthy people have wealth advisors, low wealth people often need wealth advisors, right? And so we have credit counselors and home buyer counselors that are HUD, that are HUD certified that work with borrowers, uh, to get them ready for a mortgage loan. And that's at a nonprofit. They do that every day, uh, preparing borrowers uh, to become better borrowers. So they're really helping to build a pipeline for the bank as well. Yeah, that is just fantastic, Darren. And, and a couple of things that you brought out there, particularly when I think of um, CDFIs, that really Southern is a great, uh, if not the example, is that the customization and, and tailoring the need to the communities that you're serving, whether they're whether they're very rural um, or urban, um, and doing so in a collaborative way. Now you, you do it within your own entities, but then I didn't know you you also did that with with other banks as well. And again, that everybody needs a wealth advisor to a certain extent, whether you have a lot of money or a little, it's important and precious. And maybe just for our audience, I'll do one quick clarification. That term CDFI, Community Development Financial Institution, if I had to boil it down in a nutshell, the U.S. Treasury 
requires in order to get that certification that you have a mission. Your board of directors actually approves the mission of economic development. And year after year, you have to demonstrate 60% or more of your services are to low and moderate income people uh, or targeted populations. And so uh, a high threshold to meet year in and year out. And Southern, I don't know how many years you've been a, a CDFI, I'm sure over 20. Yeah, so David, proudly, uh, Southern was among the first CDFIs ever certified. So just a little bit more on that history of the, of the CDFI fund. When Bill Clinton, um, Governor Clinton becomes President Clinton, he takes the model that he's used at Southern and at Shorebank, and he says he wants to have 100 development banks across the country serving uh, low and moderate uh, income communities. Uh, and so Southern really is kind of the model of the DNA for the industry. And so this great public-private par partnership between the federal government and and all of our, all the CDFIs out there. Uh, it was that model that President Clinton used um, when when starting the CDFI fund at the Department of Treasury. So we were among the very first group of um, CDFIs ever certified. Yeah, fantastic. And uh, so in leading the way, and you're still leading the way, um, I want to uh, shift us a little bit to maybe more uh, current time and the initiatives that you're doing around equity. And I would say in this particular case, you're you're, you're bringing in uh, maybe the third leg of the stool where we have government in the CDFI fund, we've got a nonprofit in, in your loan fund. Now it seems like a uh, large corporations, large banks, and even large fintechs are really uh, engaging with what Southern is doing. Could you tell us a little bit about uh, maybe your recent history there and, and what you what you see as the future of, of that type of collaboration? Yeah, David, this is this is an exciting time to be a CDFI, as you well know. You know, for, for 30 plus years, we're probably the industry's best kept secret. Uh, and now now everyone's paying attention to the work of CDFIs and the power and impact that, we, that we're having. And so really proud to now have corporate America take interest in what the CDFI space is doing. And so we've had some really, you know, maybe we call it luck. I'm not sure. But uh, back last year, um, you know, really, this country is going through, uh, you know, several crises, right? So the the, the global pandemic that has uh, uh, impacted uh, this country and, and particularly impacted low wealth communities even more so because many of the folks in those communities are the first responders who really couldn't choose between working remotely or going to work. And so that not only have the health benefits, but you also have economic problems uh, from the pandemic that, that were already exacerbated in these communities. So you've got that going on. And then um, David, as you, as you guys well know, uh, being there based uh, in Minnesota, uh, the murder of George Floyd really just it, it really brought the 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 racial uh, divide in this country to it to a boiling point. Um, and and I'm what I'm really wondering, is this a moment or a movement? And I really hope that this is a movement where the country is really going to come to grip with this checkered past and really work to provide, you know, broad based prosperity for everyone. So it's really that the global pandemic, this disproportionate impact on black and brown people, the murder of George Floyd and other uh, unarmed black folks. Uh, and I just think that America said just 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 not it's just, just too much. And so the philanthropic community, uh, government has always kind of been engaged in this space, but now corporates have stepped up. And I'm really proud of corporate stepping up. And the business roundtable, uh, 200 or so of the largest businesses in America, uh, came together with an initiative head, headed by Doug McMillan, CEO of Walmart, where, of course, we just happen to be based here in Arkansas, and they are as well. And these major corporations are making significant commitments around advancing racial equity. And what's really powerful about their plan, uh, David, is it really models what Southern has been talking about for 30 plus years. And they really use 
family financial wealth or building net income for folks and building, you know, building wealth for people as a foundation for helping them thrive uh, in healthcare and education and, and workforce, uh, but also financially. And so uh, many of these corporates, including banks and, and fintechs, as you, as, you, as you said, have decided they want to support CDFIs as well as minority depository institutions. We have been fortunate as a Black-led CDFI to be a part of the groups they've supported. So we've had significant, you know, multi-million dollar investments from Bank of America, from uh, J.P. Morgan Chase, and even from Square, just a wonderful uh, fintech or payments platform, uh, and really excited about those partnerships, excited to have the opportunity to work with them, and really looking forward to see what the future might hold for us in, the, in that regard. Yeah, I have to admit, it is very exciting. And again, I I hold the same question of whether it's a mo um, moment or a movement. And I, I hope and I keep thinking every day as to what can be possible to solidify this movement and, and think about it in those terms. And, and corporate America coming to the forefront is a big step and sign in regards to, I think, that threshold you mentioned of enough is enough. And as we move forward, it's going to be very interesting to see how uh, Southern and other CDFIs come together to try to solidify that movement. So maybe in that uh, in that vein, what do you see? What's next for Southern? What's the vision look like? Well, uh, David, this is a unique time, as I said, for CDFIs and People ask me often, what keeps you up at night uh, as, a, as a CEO? That's a question you get all the time. I'm sure you've gotten that as well. Uh, and and what, I, what I've been answering here lately is uh, opportunity frustration keeps me up right now. There are just so many opportunities and there's so much need. And we feel so much responsibility to try to serve that need that, you know, we've just got so much to do. Uh, and again, to capture this and to solidify this 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 time to become a, a, a movement and not just a moment, uh, I just feel like we need, you know, you know, 30 hours in a day and give everybody else 24 to catch up. Uh, and so, you know, what's next for us? We're excited that we've got these new uh, corporate partners. We're excited that the federal government, like never before, stepped up to invest in CDFIs with some very, very aggressive, uh, um, you know, capital-friendly programs for an institution like ours. And so we hope to take advantage of those programs. And we're really looking over the next uh, five to seven years, we put a plan together where we want to probably more than double in assets. And and we don't use assets because we want to be a bigger bank. Assets is really a proxy for impact. And so we're really trying to double down on our impact. And again, our work focuses on on things that have been proven to build net worth. And so we're gonna we're gonna try to help get more people in houses. We're gonna have to help try to create and retain more businesses. And we're gonna help empower people to save and accumulate assets because those three, three things have been proven to build net worth. Uh, and so you know what's next for us? is going to continue to do that work on a larger scale. But we've now begun to, for the last four or five years, really double down on our innovation and our fintech and our and our and our our digital efforts. And so we really believe that you know our next bank branch is on in everybody's pocket in their mobile phone. And so we want to deliver our products and our solutions uh, via the mobile phone and really scale that across the country. That is super fantastic. I love I love the vision and I, really the the well, assets are one thing. It's really the impact that's driving Southern uh, to the next level. And so just a question for you, and maybe zoom out a little bit as as we are both board members of the Global Alliance for Banking on Value. So if we, we took a global perspective for just a moment, what have we what have you learned from the Global Alliance for Banking on Values as to how it might be applicable uh, to Southern's mission? Well, David, I'll tell you what, I, I am so happy that this organization joined the Global Alliance on Banking, a Global Alliance for Banking on Values and, and GABV um, has really opened my eyes up to uh, what is possible in the banking sector. Uh, in many ways, 
our international uh, colleagues are way ahead of the global bank. I mean, the U.S. banking system. Uh, and it, from a digital standpoint, they're way ahead. You know, some emerging companies have kind of bypassed plastic, and they're utilizing the mobile device in ways that are powerful and 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 really delivering impact for people, uh, and that and that's accessible to people. Uh, but I'll tell you one area where Southern is beginning to focus more of its attention on, and and I credit GAB for helping us get there, is that we have clearly always been a double bottom line company. And we're beginning to think more and more about being really that true bottom line company. Um, if we don't protect the planet that we live on, then what, what are we doing, right? And so it, it is a precious resource that we have to protect. And so we're beginning to think more and more about our impact on the environment. I love what GABB says. We want to finance a change we want to see in America uh, or in the world. Uh, and, and so from our standpoint, there's a strong correlation between unhealthy, poor uh, communities and environmental hazards, right? And environmental issues. And so uh, unfortunately, in many of the places that we serve are some of the most unfriendly uh, environmental places. I heard a stat in a, a, the, uh, the other day from, um, I can't remember the person's name, uh, a professional in the healthcare space, talking about the combination or, or the correlation between finance and health. And she says uh, that the neighborhoods that were redlined in the 1930s, those neighborhoods are um, significantly hotter than neighborhoods that were not redlined. Uh, and so there's a strong correlation between where we invest our money and our time and what we invest it in and th in the planet. And so we are beginning to take a deep look at our own carbon footprint and we have a goal to reduce our own carbon footprint starting, you know, before we start pointing the fingers at our customers, we want to point it in inward and say, what are we doing? And so we're, we're trying to really work uh, to reduce our own carbon footprint. We have a, we have a, a, a plan that we put together around doing that. And then we want to take that to how we measure our, the, the impact our the carbon of our, of our loan portfolio. And then how can we finance those things that are better for the environment? How can we, kind of encourage our own uh, customers to do that as well. Yeah, fantastic. From the double to the triple and and again, hitting all three legs of the stool, but in this particular case, uh, in terms of prosperity, social, as well as environmental. So Darren, I'm going to switch your gear here a little bit, and I want to focus a little bit on maybe your, your past experience, previous experience in law and politics. And so if you had to think about um, your career path and how you got to where you are today at Southern, how has the, the background of law and politics help you uh, move not only Southern, but the banking industry forward? Well, yeah, that's that's an interesting question. I tell people often I've gone from suing banks to running a bank, right? Uh, and, and really, my law practice was around securities class action litigation and consumer litigation uh, for big corporations who were, in, in our eyes, were providing unconscionable business practices or violating securities laws. Uh, and, and oftentimes, we had had to sue large uh, banks uh, for those practices. And now I have the pleasure of running a bank. I think differently about those lawsuits maybe. Uh, but but I, I say the legal training is such a powerful tool. Uh, and and I'm one of those folks who enjoyed law school so much. I went back and got a master's of law in, uh, in securities. Uh, and so the law is really the foundation of all that we do. And so I, you know, um, at Southern, we just happen to be blessed with maybe maybe not blessed. We had so many attorneys. The, the president of our bank is a, is a lawyer. The head of our largest uh, uh, region is a lawyer. Uh, and and I think that training, the legal training, being able to see you're trained as a lawyer to see all sides of an argument uh, and to and kind of approach things with a holistic view. And I think that's important and has been important in banking. Then from a from a legislative standpoint, from a policy politics standpoint, in my time in government uh, as an elected official. It's really all about people. 
and and particularly community banking, what we do, it's all about relationships. And to be a successful uh, legislator, you've got to build the relationships necessary to to really accomplish those tasks. And so I think the skills necessary to be a successful legislator, uh, to to bring people together, to hear them and listen to them, and then um, to really create solutions that matter, have all been powerful and helpful to me uh, in running Southern uh, Southern Bank Corps. Because really, what we're trying to do, we're trying to provide financial and economic development solutions for people and uh, and communities. Uh, and so we've got to first listen to them, right? We've got to build relationships necessary to uh, jointly uh, collect. Uh, find those solutions. And so uh, my background in both law and politics really has been, um, you know, I, I think beneficial. I wish I could say I planned this. I didn't chart this journey. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed more than I am good. And so it's been a powerful combination. And I think it really has been helpful. Yeah, fantastic. It certainly shows, Darren, um, in, in your leadership, that's for sure. And so got to end with, with this question with you in terms of what do you think the next gen banker looks like? At some point in time, you and I will likely uh, fade into the sunset or uh, retire to a board position only. Uh, but when we think of the skills, uh, what are what's necessary for the next generation of, of bankers in order to move positive banking forward? Yeah, I um, that's that's a great question. You know, interestingly, just recently, I um, was asked by the Federal Reserve to pen a chapter in a book on rural development. Um, well, I'd say recently, it was actually um, last year, they're about to publish the book. Uh, David, is, uh, interestingly, I was asked to do this right after we got back from Switzerland at the GABB conference in, I guess, in 2020, right? Was it 2020? Uh, yeah. And I titled this chapter they're asking what you know what do what do rural communities need to to advance and you know what kind of bankers do we need and so i i really titled this chapter uh you know we need swiss army knives uh and and because i had spent my time trying to find a great swiss army knife and souvenir coming back but what, what that means is we need someone really who who has a lot of tools and can um, really specialize in a lot of areas, right? And so I think about I, I think about uh, Apple, or you know, I think you know such a such a good company. When you walk into an Apple store, you walk in and they greet you, uh, and you're t- you talk to an Apple genius. That's what I call themselves. They're an Apple genius, right? And so whether it's your cell phone, your 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 iPad, your computer, they actually can do quite a bit of work for you right there one on one as a customer. And so I see the next generation banker being able to to serve both your retail net needs as well as your lending needs, and as also helping you think about how um, you and your family progress from a wealth building standpoint. So I see uh, the next banker being have, having really a holistic approach and kind of being that Apple genius or that banking genius. Uh, and and so that's how we're thinking about it. And so the the type of people we're looking for, people who have really that kind of broad thinking um, and and willing to um, you know dig deep into subjects. Fantastic. Well, Darren, as we kind of come to the end, I just want to thank you for taking the time. Uh, I think I could chat with you for hours on end. And thanks for being on the Next Generation podcast. We appreciate your leadership uh, in moving banking forward in a positive direction, not only socially, but in the environmental section. Uh, thanks so much for being on the Next Gen Banker podcast. Hey, David, thank you. And thanks for all that you guys do at Sunrise Banks. For this episode's musical feature, we are showcasing Grayson Turner. Grayson is a singer-songwriter from Spartanburg, South Carolina. He is also a member of the acoustic duo Gray Ally. Here is What Makes Life by Grayson Turner. Get up, go to work, come home, never catch a breath, never stop to do some rearranging. Slow down, sit tight, look around and just enjoy the night. Reach out, 
touch love Put your world in park and soak it up Find your father and mother Tell them everything's alright Find your sister and brother That was What Makes Life by Grayson Turner. You can find more of Grayson's music on Apple Music and follow him on Instagram at Grayson underscore Turner. If you would like your music featured on the Next Gen Banker podcast, email nextgenbankerpodcast at gmail.com with a link to your music and website. Thanks for listening to the Next Gen Banker podcast. We'll see you soon.